0: Every day we hoistle in a Pilots and petard's
1: podcast.
0: Welcome to the Pilots and Petards podcast.
1: This is Drew. I'm the pragmatic cyclops of this podcast.
0: And I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast.
1: And unfortunately, it's one of those weeks where we're missing the motherfucking magical Miss Mo. She's the master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers. Uh, we have a, a returning guest, an all-star guest, and she's going to introduce herself. So I'll let her take it away.
2: Hi, I'm Kate. I am from But Why Though? The Podcast and editor-in-chief of ButWhyThoughPodcast.com.
1: And Pilots and Batars is a proud member of the But Why Though? Podcast community. So this is the podcast with nothing much to do about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with first episodes of a filmic series. And disclaimer, petard is a
0: word. It is a real word. Petards are bombs. Look it up and read your Shakespeare. We would like to thank today's sponsor, Halloween, for this ad-free listening. So go out and thank a festive trick-or-treater or pumpkin grower. We appreciate you,
1: fits as well. Uh, one real quick thing, too. Fuck you, Crooked Media. Fuck you for your crooked piece of shit ads, and fuck you for not, you know, joining this podcast feud. The hottest podcast have podcast feuds, and your refusal to do so says more about you than it does about us. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor the show, we are available for money, and if you want us to slander your rival or just someone you dislike, we can do so to a small but dedicated audience. If you enjoyed
0: today's ad-free listening, then you owe us. We could stack never-ending, piece-of-crap, crooked ads, but we don't. We could also ask you for money. We don't do that either. So, pay off your debt by listening to other episodes, telling someone else to listen to us, or giving us that
1: constructive feedback. So, join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the classic horror reboot, The Haunting of Hill House, will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. So, Hoistlers, we're going to jump into some background. Kate. You just did an article about this show on the website, but why though podcast.com. Do you wanna hit your background first and then we'll go to Jimbo?
2: So I am a dedicated horror fan. I fondly refer to myself as horror trash. If it is horror, I will watch it. But I'm kind of like the raccoon of horror in that way. I'll dig to find anything. So The Haunting Hill House is a book that I read a while ago, like a long while ago. Um and it is acclaimed across both um, literary horror as well as um, directors and film, although the adaptations of this movie really, really suck. But it is honestly still held as the best ghost story overall in books. And I mean, we're counting all the horror writers in it, and it's just because what it does is it lives in the terror genre. So terror and horror are different. Horror deals with making you disgusted and pulled back. Um, So it's that immediate reaction that you have when you have a jump scare. Terror is that sense of dread, that slow burn up until that reveal. Um, And so what this did really well, and one of the reasons it's been held so highly, is because it lives in that in-between the start to the horror. It lives in terror, um, and that's what the, the movies that were made about it missed, but what the book did really well, and why it's something that people still reference today
0: that pretty much wraps up yeah. the background <laughs> that I found. I, I started reading the first chapter, but I wasn't able to give it my full attention and I, I didn't really get that into it today, but mostly because of time purposes. But Stephen King has referenced the book as being one of the best horror books of the twentieth century. So I mean Mr Mr. Horror himself, Stephen King. So that's so that's something
2: to say. Yeah. And it's won awards too, um both in its time as well as outside of it.
0: Shirley Jackson, she's, she's like a common core author.
1: She's, she's out there. My background was this show was all over Twitter, and I was like, what is happening? So I have the least background. You guys are more prepared than me. Good job, guys.
0: <laughs> Would you consider this series to be horror or terror or a
2: combination of both? It's both. Terror and horror usually go hand in hand. But if you look at something like maybe James Wan's universe, it lives just in horror. It doesn't have any buildup or anything like that. It, it lives on cheap jump scares um, versus something that's more psychological in nature. So I would say, um, especially with this pilot, it focuses more on not revealing too much and building up relationships to have that stuff start burning in the, in the pilot in the pilot itself.
0: I had just come across that distinction between terror and horror today. I do not like horror. I think horror is trash, no offense, Kate. But, like, terror is is interesting. I guess, like, that's why I like Get Out. Yeah. Spoiler, Petardar.
2: Dog. <laughs> the Invitation is actually another really good one by Karen Kusama. That is an amazing, that is all terror. Slow burn, most uncomfortable you will be in a movie. It's good.
1: I would jump in and say that I kind of hate the Saw movies and the direction that, like, I guess horror cinema took for a couple of years because I was like... That's kind of not scary to me. It's more just kind of gross, and like I think about that girl with the hypodermic needles in the pit.
2: That's actually gore. Oh. So you're looking at something that uses it's it's gore or body horror. So horror isn't just one category. Um, there are some horror fans who love hauntings and the supernatural, but won't watch any gore movies. So things that deal with gore extensively or body horror, I have a hard time with body horror. So that's like a Jeff Goldblum's The Fly. I, for some reason, I can watch a lot of stuff, watching a body mutate, not my thing. Yeah, everybody can be a horror fan, it's just what type of horror you like.
1: I'm learning. I'm learning so much. <laughs> Jimbo, you want to hit us with that two-sentence summary? The Crane
0: family was trying to flip a haunted house. Years later, this dysfunctional family continues to suffer the effects of the Hill House. How will Steven adjust when he finally sees a ghost? Stay tuned to find out if you should give a steaming pile of crap.
1: Part one Part is a spoiler-free section of the podcast. We're just going to talk about the quality of the pilot. Some highs, some lows, some in-betweens, but no spoilers here. Not yet. Kate, what are some of your high points, low points, in-betweens?
2: Overall, I feel like I know the characters. That is probably... um, So this show to me is very bingeable because it pulls you into the relationships. It sets the stage by setting up two events. And that type of maneuvering of the actors, the relationships, and the settings is something that I really, really appreciate as well as the excellent use of flashbacks. I guess a low for me is, um, it's a little slow. If, and it's something that could make you tap out if you're not into this style of horror. And if you go in, like, if you go in expecting jump scares from the get, you're not gonna like it. And that's something that, like, ultimately, I think, kind of hurts it a little bit um from a pilot. So you're watching this to see, oh, I want something scary to watch for Halloween. You watch this, you might not get there.
1: I have a lot to say about that. Drew, you want to jump in real quick? Sure, I'll jump in. I wanna I wanna second what Kate was saying about the frame, and I think we're really complimenting the director on that one because like that person, I don't know who the director is.
2: Uh Michael Flanagan. He did Oculus
1: He had a vision and he definitely like he was definitely doing some juggling with the storytelling. I don't necessarily feel like I got to know the characters. I feel like I got to know like one and a half or two characters, but that was a little bit of my low point was there was a lot of characters and a lot of names. And I think flashing back and forth made it all the more confusing, but I still really liked this pilot and I really liked what they were establishing. So I agree. I think establishing those two events was a strong point, but I also agree with your low point. It was a little bit long for me. Um, Cause I looked at the runtime. I was like, damn, this thing's an hour.
2: I wanted it to be longer. <laughs> Just faster paced.
0: At uh, 30 minutes, I had no idea who anyone was and literally nothing had happened in the plot. I think they should have taken out the first 30 30 minutes because all they really did was just establish suspense. And then they did build up for the second half. The second half of the pilot was really good.
2: See, and like for me, I don't think the second half works without the first half. Because what you see in the first half is you see a buildup of Hill House. And you see it slowly going into this men- menacing way, you know, you have mysterious things, you have um, issues, and you you understand through the focus of this episode, um, Stephen that there is something beyond this. And I think for a lot of it, um, the reason it introdu- it introduces with him is because it's putting the audience in that perspective. And then you slowly see it unravel once you reach the end. Um, so for me, I don't think you can detach the last half from the first half. I think the first half could have been more um, packed with substance. So maybe instead of introducing all the siblings as adults, they could have just introduced them in flashbacks, but still only only pointed to Nell and Steven in as adults and maybe not have given us a lot of the um okay well this is a background on this character and this character's here too and this is all of them as adults um that may have been a better way to streamline it but I don't think you get that payoff in the end if you don't see the build, build up in the beginning
1: I think I agree with both of you in a way because I think that maybe like 30 minutes at the beginning was a lot I think they could have done the same thing with 15 minutes you know, and it gotten into it. And then the thing is, they're, they're playing with flashbla- flashbacks and they're playing with time a lot. So I don't necessarily see why they couldn't have done 10 to 15-ish minutes of establishing of Hill House, that middle 30 minute, put that last conclusion into the middle, and then, you know, ended in kind of a slow trickle with some more character development stuff towards the back half.
2: I was going to say to that point, though, the way this episode ends, in my opinion, makes you want to watch episode two. Um, And so if you move that to the middle, I don't know if you get that same effect, because then you end up with more like, oh, okay. the the cool thing was in in the middle. So
0: I think the end is strong. That's that's a high point. I think you could start the show in the middle of the show. Viewers are going to get it like it's a haunted house.
1: I would also say that, like, we ding a lot of shows on this podcast for not giving the viewers enough credit. And, you know, this show throws a lot at us. Like, this is what we're asking for. And this is what we got. And now we're complaining about it a little bit. I'll I'll deal with it. I think in a way, maybe the casting was too good. Cause a lot of the adult actresses, especially it was kind of hard to keep track of them and like differentiate because they, it was well cast. They look like their family. And so in some cases I was like, wait, is that the person who just had that happen? And the three female sisters have a really strong resemblance. And so besides no, I got the other two mixed up a little bit. And that kind of added to the, like a lot of characters
2: no, I could see that.
1: And I'm, I'm not sure what you're good at, Drew. This, this is not what I want. It's what I ask for a lot. I've made fun of supernatural a lot.
2: <laughs> but this is not that. Like I, this episode and this show as a whole too, but mostly for this episode, it's trying to get you to buy into the family because essentially, like you get the essence that this family has separated in the middle of it as you start getting introduced to different people. One of the things that horror does badly is haunted house stories, it's always about the house. It's not about the people in the house, and it's not about what happens to them after, before, and or during. It's about the scare of the house. And I think what this show does in the pilot is it centers the people. Um so instead of a haunting house, a haunted house haunting people, it's people living in a haunted house and it's trying to establish relationships and trying to build that with you as well. It wasn't executed perfectly. I could I could see some of the critiques that y'all are giving and I definitely think that there is a lot coming at you, especially with so many damn kids. But at the same time, it's in the first episode doing what a lot of horror movies suck at, especially with some of the scares that it builds. I also have a different mind watching this because I love horror and I love intricate shows and stuff like that. So it could be a personal bias.
1: I know we're about to move to the next section, but can I throw out one more high point? You guys don't want your feedback on this. Um, I thought the child actors were excellent. I thought the dynamic and the interplay between the siblings was very natural, um, especially when they interacted with each other. So I thought that the child actors did a really good job and that they were very believable. Like Jimbo and I watched, like we watched like seven pilots like two weeks ago and some of the child actors were cute, but it was very unnatural acting. By the way, Jimbo, single parents got picked up for a full season, America, but I really liked the child actors in this show. I thought they were very natural and um, I thought they were a huge strength. Get in there, Jimbo. You might disagree.
0: No, the child actors were great.
2: I'm never gonna have children. I don't like children. I don't like children in my horror movies because usually they're forcing themselves to cry and it looks super awkward and you don't get genuine emotions from them because they don't know how to tap into that type of fear. That being said, these kids killed it. They were so good. There was not a moment where I was like, nah, that, like, that kid doesn't know what they're doing. That kid's not feeling that way. Um, especially little Nell They're just very good actors. I mean, it was the reason that I didn't watch Stranger Things for an entire year was because I didn't want to watch kids acting in something that was horror or sci-fi because I just don't think they do well in that. They do well in dramas and stuff. But this, I was blown away. I was like, okay, I give all of y'all credit. And they're casted very well to the adults as well. And that doesn't always happen. My biggest low, the damn contact lenses for Hugh. Hugh. The bright blue contact lenses that he has, it, it's bad. Um, because Timothy Hudden plays um older Hugh, um, and Henry Thomas plays younger Hugh, and Henry Thomas has brown eyes. And so if you notice specifically when he's talking to Nell about bad dreams, you can see where the light goes on his face and they're bright blue contacts, and it looks unnatural.
0: I didn't notice, but but I did read that somewhere. Some, some someone else noticed at least.
2: For the entire series, that's one of my only critiques.
1: <laughs> well, now I am planning on watching this show. It's foreshadowing, as Jimbo would say. Um Now that's the only thing I'm going to notice. It's fine.
2: <laughs> By episode two, like, I kind of noticed it in the pilot. Um And I think if you're really paying attention to, like, the, the speeches and stuff, you should be able to. He has more monologues as, as, as the other person. And then just, like, this is... These are blue eyes. You don't have blue eyes. Your face is not made for blue eyes.
0: People's eyes can change over the course of their life.
2: They should have just gone with that. I would have never known that that actor didn't have blue eyes if they hadn't had those god awful contacts.
0: I'll just toss out one more high high point. I think the frame for the story is really good. The person telling the story sets up a nice frame. You already kind of know what's going on, more or less, right right at at the first opening just with the
1: the background i would also say the way that that turn of phrase comes back in the episode is clever and interesting and i liked it and it added a lot to layers of the story
2: i also just love the title of the episode too i think the title of of the episode is so good (laughs) and i also think that's a credit to horror in my in my opinion unless it's like cheap horror where it's just jump scares i actually think good horror isn't hurt by spoilers
0: no, good. I mean, a good story is not going to be hurt by spoilers at all. Only crappy stories can be hurt by spoilers. All right, so we are going to move into our most valuable part of the pilot. And for any new listeners, this is our MVPs.
2: The very first scare. The very first scare.
0: <laughs> what minute marker was that?
2: It's about five minutes in. And it's a jump scare, but it's a different type of jump scare because it's something that slowly comes into focus, right? It's not like James James Wan, like, screamy face in your face. No, you see this little white amorphous blob in the back. You see it shift over her shoulder and then come up front. And I was like, holy shit, that was so well done. And I felt it coming. But because your eyes are focused on her talking and it's building into frame – it's extremely well done in in my opinion. Like that's how a jump scare should be done that like I knew what I was getting into from from a horror lens there.
1: It didn't set the tone for the rest of the episode, but it set a precedent that you need to pay attention and that, you know, there are things happening not just at like the front of the frame, you know, or not just at the front of the screen, but that this show will reward you for paying attention.
2: There are something like 15 ghosts hidden throughout the house in the first episode alone. Flanagan's use of foreground, middle ground, and background is phenomenal. and It's one of the reasons why I've appreciated him as a director. If you don't know, he's done Oculus, Hush, um, Absentia, Gerald's Game. Um, his wife is actually the character um, Theo. I think her name's Katie Siegel.
0: There's a bunch of recycling actors. There's even a, an actor, too, that, that, that was in the original Haunting movie.
1: Because her trivia is going to be lively. I wrote the questions. Uh, Jimbo, what's your MVP? Steven, he defines ghost for a character
0: in the show. And I just really like that because it gives a more realistic take on what a ghost is. And it allows the viewer to kind of think whatever they want to think about ghosts.
1: Jimbo and I were having a little text message exchange. I hope I can find it. But basically, Jimbo was asking me, hey, do you have any dangling threads thoughts? And I was like, should we talk about if ghosts exist? Jimbo, I'm going to find it. I'll find it eventually, but
0: I said if we have to discuss the reality of ghosts, then I quit. Listeners, if you're out there, if we've acquired the fan base that doesn't know if ghosts are real or not, I'm done. This is my last episode. My uh my my career as a podcaster was a complete fail.
1: And yet here we are talking about the definition of ghosts.
0: No, no, no. The definition of ghosts is a separate topic. That's interesting. Now, whether they're real
1: i think is not all right (laughs) thank you for clarifying
0: yes big big distinction there
1: i guess my wife (laughs) likes to talk about the time that she and jimbo got into a huge argument um at our dining room table and it ended with jimbo wasn't a huge oh she remembers it being big but basically jimbo admitted that (laughs) the premise of his argument was that he was in fact one of the people he was arguing against
0: no, that was, I did not admit that. And that was a complete misrepresentation of what the argument
1: was all about.
2: <sighs> uh, okay, well,
1: We have some shop talk. It's okay. <laughs> Kate, what do you think about that definition of a ghost scene?
2: I really liked it. it. It's something that you see in horror a lot. You have that skeptic that becomes a believer, right? Like that's a common trope ultimately like it's very hard for that to be done well because as your character starts to confront everything that he's seen um, he or she has seen you're messing with the feel of it for the audience too because it's usually who the audience is experiencing it through um, and there's supposed to be a vehicle for you and I think that this does it well and I think him defining the ghost in the way it does gives you an insight to him especially as the rest of his background kind of unravels
1: And this is kind of a good segue to my MVP, because my MVP was Steven, the adult lead. He really does the heavy lifting in this episode, pushes the narrative, kind of pulls the time jumps around him. He does a good job not just being the straight man, you know, not just being the person who drives the plot, like as a plot device. I feel like he has some development and that his child actor version also does a good job defining the character, so... Yeah, I really liked Steven in the pilot. He was compelling to me. Yeah, Steven's strong. I also liked Steven.
2: I loved him. (laughs) He makes me mad, but I love him.
1: Is he in other stuff? He seemed good, but I feel like I haven't seen him in other things.
2: He's Dario Naharis from Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think in my article, I actually put the actor's name and then I put of Dario Naharis.
1: Yeah, Game of Thrones is a big deal. Okay, sorry. Steven, you're there.
2: There there aren't a lot of big names in here.
1: Carla Gugino? She was in Watchmen.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. She was Spectre. Oh, I forgot about that. But yeah, ultimately, there's not giant names in the movie uh, or in the in the show, which I really appreciate because I think that detracts a lot.
1: I'm going on MVP. So what about you guys? Yeah, let's move.
0: Hoisters. And now the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for. Are we going to watch this show? Is Kate going to re-re-watch re this show?
1: I'm gonna watch the show, and actually I'm gonna watch this show tonight. Jimbo and I were chatting it up, and I was like, have you watched yet last night? And he was like, I'm not watching that show at night. I am watching this show at night, and it's probably gonna become <laughs> a little ritual for me. Do it. It was fun. I was in bed when when that scare that you talked about happened, and I was like,
2: oh, oh.
1: One of the guys I work with
0: said he couldn't sleep from watching this show. I was expecting more like gore, horror type gore. I probably could have watched this at night and slept just fine. It, it wasn't worth the risk to me. <laughs> 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 but I'm not going to watch this show. I um, I do want to read the book.
2: Yeah, I have watched it once already. I'm re-watching it again. I'll probably re-watch it next Halloween or when I'm bored. Um, I think it's an overall, like a, no spoilers, but it is an immensely well-crafted show that does stuff that other horrors wish it could do it's a giant reinterpretation and a soft adaptation
0: yes i didn't realize that i i could tell from the first chapter massively different
2: and i think it benefits from that i agree and i think that that the narrative that comes from the book is very hard to adapt um, because of how it interplays with psyches and from distant characters it's very hard to get across on screen and i think choosing to do it this way was amazing I will keep watching it. This pilot, um, just to put you back in the mind frame when I would only seen the pilot, I pressed play on the next episode, even though it was nighttime, and I am a horror fan who does get scared easily. I enjoy being scared. Um, I also don't have to sleep alone, so that kind of helps. <laughs> um, I pressed play to the next episode right away. Um, I actually went back after a few episodes to rewatch some pieces. I was like, okay, Wait, I think I missed something in the house and replayed the flashbacks of the first episode because there's so and you don't have to do that. But like, this is something so far I'm on episode five now in my rewatch and you get more out of it after you've completed the story and rewatching it like it's very bingeable, very rewatchable. Um, But I have had a nightmare because of a very specific character that comes later on down the line. The designs are amazing and nightmare fuel. Nice.
0: And now, hoisters, the moment you've all been waiting for. To hoist or not to hoist? That is the question.
1: Yep. And listeners, remember, hoisting is bad. It means you're blown up by a petard, that improvised explosive device the French use. And not hoisting is good. And you know what? I'm not hoisting. Um, This show did some very cool things. I was in by the first 15 minutes, maybe not 30, uh, but it it ended strong. And yeah, I like... The characters, I like the direction, and I also like what I'm hearing from other people. Like, a lot of people like this show. and Cool, I'm in. It's also October. It's the season.
0: Remember the people (laughs) elected Bush twice. One and a half times. (laughs) I'm hoisting it. The beginning was too slow, way too uneventful, and I would have never finished this pilot if I wasn't going to talk about it. The second part of the show does not save the first part. Hoist.
1: Kate, break this tie, Kate.
2: Obviously, I'm not hoisting this. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) This is the, and I think I said it in my article too, like this is the best horror show that I have seen on television. Um, This also includes American Horror Story before it went off the damn rails and turned into some weird shit. Um, It's everything that I want from horror. Um, So no hoist on my end.
1: All right, so Hoistlers, you heard it here, by Split Decision... Steven sees a ghost, not hoisted. Jimbo, why don't you take us into part two? We're going to spoil everything in this section. We will spoil everything in this section, that's true.
0: All right, hoisters, and for part two, we are going to do a filmic analysis and interpretation. We're going to dive deeper into the plot, story, and characters. Starting off, we're going to hit our Crab Man Award. Hey, girl. Hey, Crab Man. For any new listeners, the Crab Man is a character with very little screen time giving. Large contributions, typically a sentient being, giving way more than they are taking. Go ahead, Drew.
1: My my crab lady, my crab one-night stand. I thought the one-night stand girl was uh, interesting. I'm not sure what she added to the plot, but I really like how she was kind of bucking gender norms. She was like walking out and she was like, was it something I said? And like, no, like Theo, Theo wanted to get laid and Theo got laid. And then she was just like, it is what it is. Like, you know, Theo went out. Theo got it in and then Theo was like I gotta get up for work tomorrow so we learned a lot about Theo (laughs) and that girl was very attractive so nothing wrong with that I didn't see the tattoos coming
0: so uh, Drew is voting with male genitalia on on this week it looks like
1: (laughs) I I mean also there's kind of a lack of crab people I it was such a large cast I didn't really know who was gonna be important who wasn't so I feel like our options were somewhat limited and I was like, she didn't take away. You know, she just added to the story. She was like a non-white person in a very white cast.
2: The entire time I was thinking, I was like, how would this be if there were a whole bunch of Mexicans in this movie? Would this work? <laughs> like, it was one of those, was like, wow. This is a very, very monochromatic show. However, it's still a great show.
1: So, I mean, there you go. She's doing a lot of things with a little bit of screen time. The definition of, you know, a crab man, crab person, crab ex, crab bureaucrat.
0: Yeah, I don't know if she's doing a lot of things, but.
2: I do agree. I think it actually sets up Theo's character perfectly.
0: That's the only setting up of Theo's character.
1: Theo's one of the only characters who I can differentiate from the other characters.
2: And that is Katie Siegel.
1: Oh, Theo's Katie Siegel?
0: I'm going to nominate the fan woman.
1: She's in a lot of parts of the show, Jimbo.
0: Okay, well, if she's not a crab woman, then then I'm saying crabless.
1: I'm saying this. I don't think that the woman who invites Stephen to her home is a recurring character. She's she's yet another not white person. So there you go.
0: She's developing Stephen a ton from him explaining, you know, what a ghost is. And we are in the spoiler zone. He's like, no, you're not seeing ghosts. You just seeing a ghost to your husband is better than not seeing your husband at all. I think that kind of explains ghosts to me pretty well.
2: Yeah, I, I think she does a tremendous amount to establish where Stephen sits on this skeptic line, um, like skeptic believer line. And Stephen is ultimately defined by her because that's the only time you hear him really voice his opinions as an adult. What's the woman's name that takes care of the house? Mrs. Dudley. She was kind of cool. Yeah, that's that's who I was gonna pick. Yeah, she's played by Annabeth Gish. She's a character actor. So you've seen her probably seen her in a lot of stuff. She is a recurring character. This episode she doesn't do a lot other than really set up that childhood dynamic and give a window into that. So that she's the only person I could think of other than One Night Sand Girl.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would push back on Steven's employer. Or not Steven's employer, but Steven's I guess workplace acquaintance. We should learn her name.
2: The name's not important.
0: <laughs> you said work acquaintance as a client, dude. Yeah, okay.
2: It's a client. <laughs> If you look at the cast list, she doesn't even show up on the first page of IMDb, so, like...
1: Oh, she did really well.
0: Which which one are you going with? Dudley or uh, The Client?
1: Oh, so we're we're automatically dropping down to second choices?
0: I'm going with Case. I'm going with Dudley over The One Night Stand Girl.
1: I'm going to go with Dudley. I think you should withdraw your crab nominee.
0: I'm not going to withdraw my nominee, man. That's a legit
1: It's fine. I can't wait until we have our Crab of the Year at our Pileys Award.
0: She wasn't in that much. This is a 60-second. I mean, this is a 60-minute pilot, sir.
1: Yeah, I imagine that she was in 10% of it. That's way too much.
0: Six minutes? No way.
2: She was in a lot of it.
0: Fitz is going to fact check this one for
1: us. I'm fine with that. Fitz, please do fact check this one. Cause she has a long monologue about the reason that her husband is dead. She is part of the scene where he explains his philosophy on ghosts. And then he has to explain to her why she's having this three minutes. She's in 5% of the show. Uh, I imagine that is six plus minutes. And then they sit down together and he writes an inscription of the book and she thanks him for it. It's four different scenes, three minutes and 15 seconds. We'll find out, and maybe I'll do it. <laughs> You're going I'm putting my my crab force behind. Yeah, the prude like JC of evangelical lady.
0: Our crab prude housekeeper is Miss Dudley going home with the crab prude award.
1: Yep. <laughs> crab sounds. All right, and so
0: now the Mo zone. We're
1: gonna dive deeper into our literary analysis. What I really liked about this show was how much of a mystery it was, but I think Jimbo does have some good points and I noticed it too about it dragging. So like, maybe like, do you guys, what do you think is that fine line between like dropping breadcrumbs and just not being intelligible, if that's the right way? Like, where is that line?
2: I think that that line is a lot larger when you remember that it's a 10 episode series. Um, And so when you're going into a mystery, you can't have it all solved in that first episode you have to, like, this is the start of the breadcrumb trail. This isn't the entire trail. And so when you think about it that way, um, it, it helps. Um, I do think that there are pieces that were longer than they needed to be in the dropping of those crumbs, but I think ultimately it establishes the two events the show will revolve around and it introduces you to the family on two different pieces and it connects the family again at the end. And I think that, and it leaves questions because those questions are going to be answered in the rest of the episode. Um, so for me, I think if this was a movie, it would be too fine of a line. But because it's a, because it's a 10 episode show, I think that it helps, um, set up pieces. But then again, you end up in a spot where it's like, well, this was too slow for me and I, now I don't want to watch past this.
0: And this is genre, you have a fan base that wants to be at the edge of their seat and wants to be in like that eerie zone. Well, I mean, they definitely succeeded in that. If we were gonna look at this as a piece of literature, to me, they've way past the line because you don't need to set up that much suspense to tell the story, so I guess it it depends on the audience and the purpose really.
1: You no, know, I mean, what I'm kinda of drawn to is like I was thinking about some lost parallels. To me, like kind of like the draw of Lost and that idea and that genre show is the mystery. And I know that House on Haunting Hill is kind of a genre bender, like, you know, a mystery mixed with terror and a little bit of horror. My my concern or my idea was like diminishing returns, you know, like, will it follow through and will it live up to these breadcrumbs that it's leaving? Um, Or will I kind of ultimately feel disappointed, you know, in what I see? So I don't know. I mean, Kate, how would you, were you lost? Did you ever watch Lost all the way through? No?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, I well no, no, I refuse to watch the lost the last episode.
1: lucky, would you compare the show favorably to like lost style mystery, or
2: I think it's something different, but I mean, then again, just remember, like I consume a lot of horror, so like it goes to what you're saying when it comes to genre, this is living in that space, and it's living in a very old space of horror, too, so like. A, new, a lot of new horror fans are in it for the shock, but if you've been with horror, horror literature, old horror movies, um, like Hammer Horror, Universal Horror, if you go back to these old things, like The Cat in the Canary, or even Like I Walked with a Zombie, or even Dr. Cagliari, like you have these long pieces that drop stuff out so wide because it's supposed to pull you in for the payoff. And then if you look at it from a literary sense... That like this is one of the reasons why people hate Stephen King, and this is one of the reasons why people say Stephen King is a bad writer is because he sets up so much in the beginning for it to fulfill in the end. Um, and I, it's a common like a lot of what's being done are comic horror tropes. You see that go throughout, and I think they're spread out enough and they're changed just enough that they don't they don't mess up. But I I don't know if I could compare it to Lost so much just because for me they're very d- two different entities. I compare it favorably to Lost, I guess, if I had to. Hmm. Insofar as setup. Um, and if you look at it like strictly from like a textual analysis or a literary lens, what it does really well is it definitely establishes, and you talked about it earlier, Jimbo, it establishes that frame of reference and what you'll need to know going into the next episodes. Um, which is some, it's, it's something that a lot of stuff struggles at pulling off. And a lot of shows, especially newer shows or syndicated shows, like, or not syndicated, but like cable shows that aren't on streaming services, do struggle with. And it's why a lot of pilots don't get picked up.
1: Uh, no, kid, I have a feeling that if I like this by the end, I'm going to be hitting you up for recommendations.
0: <laughs> there's there's like a weird flashback that's not very clearly a flashback because the actors look the same. He goes to his sister to kind of get permission to write the books. Is, Is that from the book at all? No, right? There's... Just the names, right? Just in, like, some some of the character qualities, because uh, Luke was, like, a thief or a klepto or something, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Character qualities, tropes, investigation of psyche, living in terror, names, and um, ultimately the staging of Hill House, just, like, its existence. Um, But ultimately, a lot of it is not, like, the book at all.
1: I'm down for that, you know,
0: like... What do you guys think about selling your family out for a dollar?
2: Oh, I mean, it's shitty. It's so shitty. But that also goes to establish Stephen. He doesn't believe any of this is real. He doesn't believe that there's any real trauma there other than something that children made to cope with a bad situation about their mother. And so, like, when you see him reduce it to a book, and he makes a name on the book, and he has that confrontation with his sister... You get that sense of him and you know that he's the skeptic. Like he is living out this audience that he he is our stand in for the audience. So from a literary perspective, it's really, really well done showcasing that because you know that he believes in nothing, um, which makes the end so much better.
1: Also, like this shit's real. Like publishing is cutthroat. He's trying to make a living as a writer. He's got an in you know, and he's telling his story and his family's story. And he's the oldest and he was the one who was fucking eyes open. That part was cool as fuck, by the way. That could have been a high point, but I couldn't like describe just that one scene in the hallway.
2: That part was super good, though.
1: That's why I'm watching the second episode. No, I agreed with his um reasoning. The story's out there. He can tell it. And he's got to fucking feed his family. Come on. And also, I don't know what's in the book that he wrote. Who cares it's a book
2: so one of the cool things, and you don't know this if you don't you know if you haven't watched the rest of the show, but Flanagan does some amazing stuff with callback shots every time he moves in and out of space and every time he moves in and out of memories, you can see that they were shot continuously, so like a shot that he shot from the inside of something was also shot from the outside of something, and he'll reuse that footage in a way that makes it feel lived in and real in my review of it, I really from a literary aspect, I compared it to the show to, like, This Is Us. It's This Is Us, but make it a haunting. Ultimately, it, it's about getting into people's minds, and I think that the reason you don't know enough about the other characters is because you weren't supposed to. Like, this was Steven's episode, and this was your introductory to the world.
0: I like that. Those, those are the aspects of, of the show that I did like. A couple of the shots are like, 17 minutes long, and they rehearsed like theater rehearsal. They did six weeks of theater rehearsal just so they could shoot these very long scenes.
2: There are a lot of one-shots, which is incredibly hard. And if you don't know what a one-shot is, that means that, the, that means that the director has one camera and that one camera will capture the entire moment. So that means as they're moving through a hallway, people have to move and get out of the way and characters have to get in position and people have to change out. Um, is what makes Daredevil the best superhero TV show. There's an 11-minute one-shot fight scene in uh, the newest season of daredevil
1: in moe's honor here's her favorite segment of the show this is the put it anywhere guys quest for the best and for the new listeners um we are ranking all the pilots that we watch on a definitive list that will someday include every pilot ever made so we're slowly but surely making our way there you know we'll get through this fast this isn't anybody but mine's favorite part of the show and kate throw some ideas in there jimbo i think that this one needs to be a little closer to friday night lights number 21 i think that the back half of the show did a really good job and dude i think you're exaggerating with the first 30 minutes i'll give you the first 15 minutes rewatch it i might just to see how long um that one lady is in the show um i'll time it with my phone
2: you should rewatch it you'll find some goodies in there if you do
1: i probably will rewatch it about halfway through
0: I'm sure there are some goodies that that are that make a second watching well worth it. I mean, I remember I paused it and I looked at the time and it was over 30 minutes. It was over halfway and I was like, nothing's happened.
1: Then, I mean, that's an issue with pacing, but that's one issue. This is a really well shot show. Like we talked about the camera work. I agree with that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of really cool storytelling. Good child acting. Steven's a compelling character.
0: Pretty lights is way up there, I think. Well, okay, so the, so you're saying it's above the crown? I I, I would disagree. It's not above the crown.
1: Wow. No.
0: Castle Rock. I think I think Castle Rock was was more effective as well.
1: I don't think the Castle Rock was scarier than this.
0: I didn't say it was scarier.
1: Mm. I think the la- the
0: closing of the Castle Rock. If I had to if I had to watch the second episode, I would rather watch Castle Rock.
1: I have watched both shows. I did not watch the second episode of Castle Rock. I will watch the next episode of. I will give you their very boring parts, but I want to go above Castle Rock. That's below the crown.
0: All right, you want it to be the new 26?
1: Yep, that's fine. The new number 26.
0: Hoysters, we are going to move into part three. And we're going to step outside of that pilot.
1: This is a dangling threads of interest named after Stormy Daniels who...
0: Do we have any Stormy news this week?
1: Her being a somewhat rational adult on Twitter while her nemesis is not. Good for you, Stormy. (laughs) Yeah, good job, Stormy. Lead by example. Yep. Jimbo, I really didn't get a chance to read um, the article that you uh, screenshotted for me, but I am interested in that idea you were talking about, where is horror good for us physiologically?
0: There's a lot of different theories out there. Most of the science is probably related to risk-seeking and risk-avoidance. In people and talking about how for people that, that are more risk-seeking, that means they like they want more of a dopamine effect involved with risk. That something like a horror film can actually produce more feel-good chemicals in their brain, whereas someone that's more avoiding risk maybe wouldn't enjoy it as much. So there's definitely at least some, some indirect connections between maybe horror and why it can bring pleasure to people. But then there's this, there's so many theories as far as why people watch horror. There's a few different ca- categories that people kind of simplify it into.
2: There are a lot out there.
1: Let me ask this, because this is my own personal experience, and maybe the articles or your research touched on this. I really like watching horror. I really like watching scary movies with people or in a theater, like in a group setting. I do not like it by myself Did the articles or did you guys ever see anything that talked about the communal aspect of a horror movie or a scary movie?
0: Yeah, it's in there. I don't remember the exact details. There was a study that said that women enjoyed like their man acting protective, like while they watched horror together and men and men enjoyed kind of like how the women get like scared and snuggly. So like these gender stereotypes are kind of seem to be reinforced, at least in one study.
2: Yeah, I would like to say like the overall studies, it is especially, especially like a cognitive study of it. I have a master's degree in anthropology and religious studies, and one of the big things that I did was look into pop culture, how it makes us feel, how it makes us react, and um, ultimately from a cultural sense, one of the reasons I love horror so much is because horror is a way to tell cultural stories. So if you look at horror through different years, um, you have different struggles, different fears being tackled with the rise of the religious right you have the rise of exorcism and and possession movies with the rise of the counterculture you have a focus on virginal women in slasher movies horror works in the culture that it's set in I think we need something to tell stories that are hard to say um, outside of genre right Um, like if you look at Get Out for example that's a very tough conversation to have with people and to show them like well-meaning how, how being well-meaning can be bad, too. Um, granted, it put through the lens of a horror story like that. And you ultimately have to realize that a lot of the uncomfortableness that's built up in the movie, that's actually something that people experience every day. After you leave the movie, hopefully, what it should have done is made you say, oh, yeah, people actually hear people tell them that stuff all the time. From a cultural sense and not a scientific sense, which I'm sure a lot of the studies you looked up have, but from a cultural sense, we need horror as a way to almost process the fears that we're going through. Um, And it's been a staple for a long time. It's been a staple. If you look back at fairy tales, all of those are horror Personally, and this is why people think I'm weird, uh, but there's a long tradition of Mexican folklore being used to scare children. Like I, when I was five, my grandma was telling me that if I went outside in the dark, La Llorona was going to come and snatch me and replace her children with me. And that's just how I grew up. Um, the Cucuy and the Mano, <laughs> like these terrifying stories is what I've heard since I was a kid. And so like for me, culturally, that's what I know. That's what my life has been. But it also has to do with the relation to death, like Mexicans have a very different relationship to death than a lot of other people. Because there's like a moment in Haunting of Hill House where I really started thinking about death and I had to shut it down because I was like, oh god, I don't like this feeling that it's making me have and it's making me think about death a lot and what happens when you die and I don't like this and I shut off the show. Horror is a good thing, at least from a culture stance. Cognitively, I'm not too sure. I don't know about those gender norm reinforcing studies. I'd like to see the sample size on that. But that's to me, that's a horror supposed to be it's supposed to make you uncomfortable.
0: So my uh, research started because I uh, recall studying about catharsis with Aristotle. He, in like response to Plato, because Plato thought that art was trashy and that it made us irrational people. Aristotle pushed back and said, no, that it's like catharsis as, as in like it's a way for us to to get rid of these these certain certain emotions or you know to kind of like purge ourselves. And so th- so that was my initial thought that I figured there would be some type of study that linked this catharsis feeling with people enjoying horror. And and like I mentioned you know a bit earlier I think there's plenty of indirect reasons to to justify that.
2: Yeah. I think looking into the sociological side versus the cognitive side will really help. Um, there are two faculty members in Canada who do the Faculty of Horror Podcast, and they break down different horror movies by um, from an academic lens. Um, so looking at cultural fears, historical fears, um, looking at different types of norms and societal pressures and issues and really from a sociological anthropological lens. Um, and so if you're really looking to do like type of research and like what you're talking about, like catharsis and like why we actually do this and get some sort of reward. Um, because not every watches horror the same way. I get scared. I get scared shitless when I watch some horror movies. Um, but I've heard it my entire life. That's a completely different response than other people too. There, I would say go into like the sociological end to find like the casarsis answers because a lot of the cognitive studies are going to base it around like different things.
1: Cool. Um, I'm going on dangling threads. How about you guys? Just watching the time. So, Hoistlers, now we're going to jump into our petardar. Um, these are recommendations for listeners based on pilot viewing experience. And I have one recommendation this week, and it is a horror comic that I really enjoyed. It's six volumes, but it's called Locking Key, and it's by a guy named Joe Hill.
2: I have heard of it. It got recommended to me on the comic book subreddit.
0: Does that have anything to do with John Locke?
1: No, it doesn't. <laughs> These siblings have to move back to their father's um, childhood home on an island called Lovecraft. And it's all about how the house has, like, mystical things. But the reason I asked you guys is because Joe Hill is an interesting guy. Um, That's actually Stephen King's son become published. He didn't want to use, like, his father's last name. Um, And so he broke into publishing with that name. And then when someone found out who he was, he just decided to keep it. Um, But it's a really cool comic series. The family aspects of it remind me of... House on Haunted
2: Hill. You mean the haunting of Hill House? Two different franchises, man.
0: Okay. What about you guys? Get out. That movie rocked me. It's an excellent movie. Anyone, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. And then I'll also recommend there. Um, I'm throwing in. It's like about a 15 minute video. It's called Psychology of Scary Movies. I this person gives a little intro course into scary movies and kind of the psychology around it one of the articles i had read referenced this video and then when i watched it i realized like they pretty much just ripped the video
1: off and um also kate i threw faculty of horror into the petardar too
2: yeah, no, 100%. If it's something that, like, if you like horror movies and you want to get them deconstructed for you in an academic way, like, it's probably one of my favorite podcasts. It's probably because I have an act- academic background, so, like, they're deconstructing stuff that I'm thinking about a lot. Um, They're also great. They're two female scholars, so they have that perspective as well, Um, because, uh, fun fact, horror has the highest number of female actresses hired as talent, but the lowest number of Women behind the scenes, um, out of any genre.
1: Oh, I was going to say the Bloomhouse director got dragged on Twitter.
2: He did, and he had the best apology because he actually took that hundred that hundred person list from Sci Fi Girls and is going to people, hopefully. Anyway, I would have dragged him too because Karen Kusama is uh, an amazing. I guess I'll I'll actually recommend the invitation, which is streaming on Netflix right now, um, from director Karen Kusama. She is phenomenal, and if you liked this pilot and you like feeling uncomfortable or that terror aspect, it is so good. It is probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time, in all honesty. And it it's a weird type of horror too. Um I think you'd actually like it, Jimbo, just like hearing you talk. It's something that I would highly recommend. Or go watch more of Flanagan's stuff if you liked this. Oculus and Hush are very good movies. So. Also, both on Netflix.
1: Part four. As Jimbo calls it, the fun part, which makes me, you know, ruminate a little bit on how he feels about the rest of the podcast. For part four, we are, again, training to take back that petard trivia crown from Jacob of the Punisher Body Count podcast. And, uh, you know, Moe's not here to train, but Jimbo's here. And so Jimbo can do some training. He's a third tier contender. And Kate, you know, you're you're a returning contestant.
0: <laughs> Redemption. Yes.
1: So I have five questions. Um, I will tell you guys the format of the question before um, I read the question. Some are closest answer wins. A couple are multiple choice. Jimbo's buzzer sounds like this. Get out. Kate's buzzer sounds like this. Boop. So first question. This is a closest answer wins question. How many years after the events in the flashback does the flash forward or current scenes take place? Get out. Closest. Go ahead, Jimbo. 20 years. Kate, would you like to answer as well?
2: 17?
1: The answer is 26. Uh. So point goes to Jimbo. Karma point goes to uh, goes to Kate for not saying 19 or 21. <laughs> Good job, Kate.
0: That could come back to you. Uh,
1: question number two. Name three, at least three, of the spiritual guides or holy books that Stephen learns about in his youth and spiritual... <laughs> ed-
2: the Bible, the Tanakh, the Quran.
1: That is three, and that answers the question. There you go. Number three. What pop culture 80s movie lunchbox does Luke have in his treehouse? A. Star Wars. B. E.T. C. Jaws. B. E.T. You are correct. Score stands at two to one on the PMP side. How many siblings were invented for the Netflix show that were not in the original novel? This is a multiple (laughs) choice. I should... Four. This is multiple choice, which I didn't say at the beginning. Jimbo, do you mind if I read the answers? I should have said multiple choice at the beginning.
0: Kate just answered four. Is is, is she correct?
1: That was none of the choices. I feel bad because I should have said the multiple choices first.
0: That's one of the risks you take with
1: answering.
2: I mean, it is. I just Jimbo, I'm going to use
1: my godlike powers as the trivia master to read the choices for you, give you the chance to answer, and if you get it wrong, I will give Kate a shot. Because that's my power as the trivia master. That sounds fair. Multiple choice, which I should have said at the beginning. How many siblings were invented for the show that were not in the original novel? A, two, B, one, C, three, or D, zero? is a trick question. Um, I'll go with D, zero. Kate, would you like to answer? Three. So no one got it right. So no one gets a point. It was actually two. It was two. And listen to this. Steven was not in the original novel. Yeah, that's why D should be D should be it. No, it's Shirley and Stephen were invented for the show. It's two.
2: Wait. So you were wait wait. Okay. So were you talking about people related to them or like characters?
0: He doesn't know what he's talking about because he didn't read the book.
1: Yeah, it says how many siblings were invented for the show that were not in the original novel.
0: I know, but they weren't. They weren't siblings, is what Kate's trying to tell you. Say it against Kate.
2: Yeah, like, they weren't siblings (laughs) in the book. Oh. So when you said that, I thought you meant how many siblings overall were invented.
1: I like Kate's original.
2: Mm.
1: Kate had good karma from that first question. How do you feel about this, Jimbo? Sure did. All right, point goes to Kate.
2: That was just a very badly worded it's question. A terrible
0: question. Don't write questions if you don't know the answer, Drew. You Come could on. have said
2: how many main characters were developed for the show, how many yeah, man. How many members of the family. Here's
0: here's the IMDB thing I went no, off we of. We don't have to read. Okay, anyone can post that crap on there, dude. It's like Wikipedia.
2: It's fine. I thought it was a yes. little more
1: stringent than that.
2: No,
0: dude, I can go on there and add something. I mean, someone has to verify it. But...
1: Oh, it's disappointing. Well, okay. All right, so this is an open-ended question. Ooh, You know, you're just going to answer it. The score's all tied up. Number five. What is the name of Shirley Jackson's other famous novella about another small New England town with a dark Get secret? Out. Go. <laughs>
0: uh, the Lottery.
1: That is the answer I'm looking for. There you go. All right, Jimbo. You really
0: threw me off with that last part. I was like, oh, damn, <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> all right, let's, I think this is my first victory, dude. Good job, Jimbo. All right, Jimbo, take us home. Hoisters,
0: if you can't tell by the plugs I'm about to announce, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a very brief couple more minutes. Uh, Our intro-outro music was mixed by Jake Drew. If you would like some intro or outro music mixed for you, contact Jake Drew. His link is in our show notes. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and always go to our website, follow our blog, so you can participate in the pre-recording discussions, and and you can get that petard fame.
1: Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Pilots and Petards. Um, the ends in the middle, but we're also the only uh, username that has those two words put together. Uh, in addition, we are on com, where my retro movie reviews can be found too. Get off my lawn.
2: Kate, what do you want to plug? I mean, you already did it for me, but why though podcast.com. Uh, we're a podcast community as well as, uh, we have like, I think we have like 19 writers now. Uh, we talk about pretty much everything in geekdom, fandom, anything you can think of from reviews to op ads, video games, comics, conventions, and cosplay tutorials and everything else. And then you can find me on my shows at but why though uh pc that's where you can find both my show but why the the podcast as well as the website's twitter and then you can find my other show did you have to at dyht underscore pod where we uh we go through a lot of pain to review anime live adaptations and a lot of them are terrible we just did death note that's coming out on friday um got very drunk to watch that because it's a very bad movie
0: very very terrible i i actually watched that
2: it's so bad and i and i like that director but it's oh gosh it's nothing about it's good i don't think
0: i finished
1: it their first episode was a dragon ball evolution podcast too and that is both a shitty movie and a funny podcast you guys did a good job
2: thank you yeah it's uh me and my co-hosts uh lanisha and then uh for but why though it's me matt and adrian
1: so Shop Talk is Kate. Thank you. This is really, really cool. Appreciate you.
2: Thank you for having me on. Um, I love yeah, horror. Extremely so...
0: short notice.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Same night. Same night notice.
0: Yeah, a couple hours notice, I think.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Thank you for thinking of me.
0: Hoisters, I know we, we promised you a story about Mo meeting the number one Pilots and Petards fan, Zero. We're going to have to postpone that story till next week. We should have Mo back. So true i think you're gonna like this story man i'm i'm not sure what version of the story we're going to get but it's a good
1: one i'm excited i remember when i'm at zero it was really cool that story will not be told in this podcast ever <laughs> every day i'm hoistling drew out every day we hoistling jimbo out
2: bye